0: Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. That's a lot of verses there. So what I want you to see is that this is the first time that we see preaching demonstrated in the church. The new church era begins with Peter jumping up with his 11, full of the Holy Spirit, giving an apostolic message. He comes and he begins to preach Jesus Christ. And what he does is he gives a right revelation. So the revelation and this word, oh, I'm behind there. All right. The word revelation means a revealing In Christian theology, it means God revealing himself and communicating to man. So we know that there's general revelation and we know there's special revelation. So general revelation means that you can't miss the fact that there's a God who created everything because everything works according to the way it was designed and the way it was planned. And so you've got God who created the mountains. He created the stars. He created the planets. Everything is in orbit. Our planet is exactly where it needs to be to sustain life. You have to acknowledge the fact that science is actually pointing towards a creator. And so if you say there is no God, then you're a fool is what the the Bible says, because everything points to the the fact that there is a creator God who created all things and he is on a throne and he rules and he reigns and he's sovereign and all things happen as we've read in Job this week. Where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth, right? And Job just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Like I have nothing to say to you, God, because you formed the heavens and the earth. And so Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter one, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that we that have been made, so they are without excuse. We're out we're without excuse. We know that there is a God who created all things. That that's general. Revelation. But now, as we see Peter taking, taking the stand and beginning to give a, an apostolic message to the people that are gathered there, he's going to give some special revelation. And what special revelation is, is it's, it's Jesus Christ being delivered to people. He's revealing himself in the last days through Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews would say it this way in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 Long ago, and in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Did you catch that? The one who created the world the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who, who sustains life right now, the one who is allowing you to take the very breath that you're taking right now, the God of the universe. We have a special revelation where God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ in the flesh. He came and he lived the life that we can live. He was the perfect, the perfect sacrifice at Passover. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. And now he is sitting on a throne and he is pouring out his spirit on the church. This, this is right revelation. Apostolic preaching is scripturally contextualized and Christ-centered. And I want you to know that because there's a lot of teaching today that is not scripturally contextualized and it's not Christ-centered. There's a lot of teaching today that looks at what we should do, how we should act, behavior modification, health, wealth, prosperity, Christian socialism, how we should, how the social gospel should be acting, what we should do in our community. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Christian pep talks that take place in pulpits every Sunday morning. But if you want to take the biblical model of what preaching is, it's apostolic preaching where they take the Old Testament and they point to the fact that it all says that it's Jesus Christ and we are hopeless and we are helpless without him. And this is what This is what Peter does. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Paul would have done the same thing in Colossians chapter one, verses 28 through 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what he would say. He would say, look, we proclaim him. We have a right revelation because the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to us. We have a right revelation to then tell others who this God is who created the universe, who holds all things together. It's Jesus Christ. So we proclaim him in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul would say this. And I when I came to you brothers did not proclaim not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He comes and he says, look, I'm going to I'm going to lay a foundation for you. I'm going to tell you what really matters. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So as Peter gets up before the crowd, he begins to give the first sermon and what is he preaching? Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's taken them back to the prophet Joel. He's taken them back to the writings of David. And he's saying, look at how all of these things point towards Jesus Christ. John Piper says it this way. The goal of preaching is the glory of God. The ground of preaching is the cross of Christ. The gift of preaching is the power of the Holy Spirit. There is the, the, the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in the lives of his church to proclaim the gospel that glorifies him that is founded in Jesus Christ and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when we are called to go and proclaim the message, we're called to go and proclaim glory to God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just good, good stuff. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, I like to make fun of us as Baptists because we get really uncomfortable with certain phrases in the Bible. And one of those phrases is prophesy. Am I right? Ooh, what were they doing? They were prophesying. Everyone's supposed to prophesy. What is happening here is that Joel is saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And what's going to happen is it's going to look like it did in the old Testament where only certain few prophets were able to speak as those who knew God. But now the church is going to be able to speak as those who know God. I've revealed myself through Jesus Christ and I've filled them with my spirit. And so now the church is able to be a mouthpiece that declares the excellencies of God. So this is what he's saying. Now, I can remember on our honeymoon, I didn't tell you I was going to tell the story, I'm sorry. So uh, forgive me later. And uh, so when we were on our honeymoon, we decided it was a really rough uh, honeymoon. We were poor, we were young, we didn't have any money. So we decided just to go to Florida and see what happened, right? So we did Disney for a day and, uh, you know, that was a lot of money. And then we decided, well, let's just go over to the beach and, and you know, we're young and I'm like, I'm going to teach my wife how to ride the waves, how to body surf. Do you remember this? Yeah, she does. Okay, so I was like, I'm gonna teach her how to body surf. And so there's one thing. It's one thing to know about the ocean, it's one thing to know about the waves, it's one thing to see pictures of those things, right? It's one thing to watch it on TV. It's another thing to feel the power of the wave, right? And so I was like, this is what you do. You just you just kind of take a breath and float and just let the wave just kind of take you. And so I rode a wave in and then I looked back to see how my wife was doing. And I saw feet (laughs) like all I saw was her The she was in the spin cycle, you know, and then she was done. It's one thing to tell her about the ocean. It's one thing to be able to say, hey, this is this is what it looks like. This is this is what I understand it to be. This is what I've studied. It's another thing to experience it. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's there's this time of old where the prophets would say, this is what I understand. This is what's been revealed to me. And then there's a whole different era of the church where the church full of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit can say, I've experienced the presence of God in my life. Have you experienced the presence of God in your life? Have you felt the move of the Spirit on your heart? Has he led you to a moment of repentance and salvation? It's something to share. It's something to talk about. This week as. As we dropped off our daughter for soccer practice, we decided to kill some time and uh, we were looking at land. And so my wife and I and our friend Jenny were, were walking this uh, neighborhood development and there was this Santa Claus looking guy, big old big old guy with a beard down to here, white beard. And uh, he was walking his dog and you know, I was like, hey, how's it going? Like, is your dog gonna bite me? You know, that's really what I was saying. Hey, how's it going? And he responded to me in this very strong New Yorker accent. And I was like, wow that's not from around here. And so we began to talk and I said, Hey, how you doing? And we, you know, a little small talk. And then he was like, well, what do you do for a profession? And I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And I was like, here we go. Right. I've already told you. So now we're going to have the talk. And so uh, I'm a pastor and he was, Oh yeah. Well, who are these? Well, this is my wife. And he was like, you got two wives. What kind of church are you at? And I was like, <laughs> Well, she does go to my church, but no, uh, you know, so I, you know, explained that and he goes, well, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, I are like, how did you get to Tennessee? You know, you got a really strong New Yorker accent. And he said, he said, well, I married a, a lady from Inglewood, Tennessee. And I was like, oh yeah, she, that's backwoods, right? Like that's, that's, uh, that's country. And so I said, well, how did that happen? He said, well, I was stationed in the air force. And he said, let me tell you my story stationed in the Air Force down in Florida. And he said, the first day there, he walked in to find out who his bunk mate was. And he walked in and there's just this guy's stuff all over the floor. There's trash everywhere. And this guy turned around, his name was Richard, and he was from Englewood, Tennessee. And he said, howdy, welcome. And he was like, oh no. (laughs) And this is his word. He said, he was Gomer Pyle and I was Robert De Niro. (laughs) He said, that's how much we had in common. And the first thing we cleaned the room. And then he said, Hey, buddy, you want to go to church with me today? And he said, no, nah, I, I go twice a year. You know, I go Easter and, and Christmas. You know, I'm a priester, right? So he said, I just go twice a year. I'm good. And so my friend Richard, he said, asked me over and over and over week after week. Hey, you want to go church with me today? He said, and we finally, you know, we became best friends and we, we finally got our own apartments. And one day he knocked on my door. Hey, I don't have a ride to church. Can, can you please take me today? And Jim said, let me get dressed up. I'll go with you. So he we went to church with him that day. And this is, this is what he said. Those people were so nice, they were so nice. And so I went back and I went back and he heard the gospel and he heard about Jesus. And he said, you know what? In 1983, I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And my friend, Richard baptized me. I just want to tell you my story. All right, see you later. And he walked off and I was like, that was awesome. That's amazing to think that God of the universe who created all things is going to put his spirit within us and give us the opportunity to declare that we know him. Church, we're all called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know him. He's been revealed to us through his son. Amen? Amen? So we tell others, and as Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the church. The church is to be so full of the Spirit that we, we let the word of God dwell in us richly. We can't help but talk about it. First Peter 315, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think there's something we've lost with all the political things that are going on. We've lost the fact that we need to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified with all gentleness and respect. I'm glad I met Jim this week. What a, great, what a great illustration of gentleness and respect. Can I just tell you my story? Church, when's the last time you ran into somebody and you said, hey, can I just tell you my story? In all gentleness and respect, can I just, can I, can I let you know how the word of God dwells in me richly? I just, I can't get away from him. He's filled me with his very own presence. He's who I think about. He's who I dwell upon. So what I, what I want you to understand is when, he refers back, when Peter refers back to the prophet Joel, he's not saying that everyone in the church is going to prophesy and be able to tell you the future. He's not saying that. That's not the wording there. He's not saying that everyone's going to be able to prophesy and say, declares the Lord, blank. And, and for, for many of you, you need to be very leery that there are people out there who are teaching in churches that say this is the word of the Lord. And if it doesn't line up with scripture and it's not Christ honoring, then it's not of the spirit because this is Peter. Peter's giving us the example of apostolic preaching. He's saying, here's the Old Testament and here's how it points to Christ. That's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's empowered preaching by the Holy Spirit. And so if anyone comes and says, hey, this is the word of the Lord and they try to predict the future and they say, hey, guess what? This person's gonna be president again and they're wrong. Be very, very scared of that. Because Matthew would say in 7.15, these are the words of Christ, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware, Second 2 Peter 2.1, Peter again, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. He said, beware of people who look like believers who are not believers. Beware of people who come in and teach and they teach destructive heresies that destroy the church, that make you look to something other than Christ for your hope, for your salvation. And the in the New Testament it was, oh, you need to be circumcised, you need to, you need to look like this, you need to act like this, you need to add to your salvation these things. And that's not the truth. The truth is it's Jesus Christ, He paid it all. He paid it all for our salvation. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul would say this, verses 13 through 15, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is of no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond with their deeds. And listen to this. Paul is saying, look, in the church, and he's writing to the church of Corinth, you need to be very leery that there are people who will come in claiming to be even apostles, people who have the ability to see to, to see prophecies and to speak prophecies, and they're going to lead people astray with destructive heresies. And guess what? They're being used by Satan to destroy the church. So be very leery. Is Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. Say, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need to be afraid of him. I say this to you, church, because I want you to be leery. I want you to be afraid of things that are not contextually scripturalized and Christ-centered. Because according to the words of Christ himself last week, as we looked at the job of the Spirit, as he sends the Spirit, it has two jobs, to lead you into all truth and to glorify Christ. And so if someone is speaking something and saying they're speaking it for the Lord, if it's not doing those two things, then it is not of the Lord. So how do you know? Well, as Paul would say, you got to test, you got to test it. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses 16 through 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the church, right? This is what he says. Hey, if you're going to be a body of believers, if you're going to be the church, you need to rejoice always because your sins have been washed away. You need to pray without ceasing because there is no hope without the power of God in your life. And you need to give thanks in all circumstances because he's a sovereign God and he's in control of all things. and He's working all things out for his glory. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Don't follow after the flesh. Do not despise prophecies. Now, the word prophecies means the teachings. Don't despise the teachings of God's word. Don't despise those, but test everything. There's a plumb line in which you test everything that is taught to you. And if I'm if I'm going to be the one that's teaching you, then you need to test everything that I'm teaching you by scripture. Everything that I say should be tested by scripture. It should be be leading you into all truth and it should be glorifying Christ. If it's not doing that, then it's not of the spirit. But test everything, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. If we're gonna test things, we can't test them by our feelings. We can't test them by our emotions. We can't test things because it makes us feel good, because it tickles our ears because it's cultural understanding of scripture. We test it by scripture, contextualized scripture. Is it pointing towards Christ? Because here's here's, here's the deal. Here's what we know. When When we read the Bible, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And if we're trying to make it about us, it'll lead us down all kinds of paths that are not towards his glory and not towards truth. So we read scripture and we test everything. This is what happens in Acts chapter 17. We'll get there many weeks from now. Now these Jews were more noble than the Thessalonians. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if things were so. They were hearing the word of God and they were like, man, this is great. Let's get back in the word and make sure it's true. Let's get back in the word. Let's make sure it lines up because the work of the spirit and the work of the word are joined together in the mission of the church. So again, Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses one through two, long ago and in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We are to test everything taught by the scriptures. So you can ask yourself this, is what I'm being taught self-gratifying or Christ-glorifying? That's a good way to put it. Is what I'm hearing self-gratifying? Ooh, I like that. That makes me feel good on the inside. Warm fuzzies. Or is it Christ-glorifying? Is it lifting Christ above all the other loves in your life? Let's put it this way. When, when we sing songs of praise, and we've, got, we've gotten some pushback on this, when we sing songs of praise are they self-gratifying songs or are they Christ-glorifying songs? Because that's take-home theology. Because you're not gonna remember what I said two hours from now, but you're gonna remember the songs we sang. Am I right? You'll be singing them all day long. Wow, that song's that song stuck in my head. I hope it's Christ-glorifying. The apostolic preaching in scripture shows us that there's never any inconsistency between the word and the work of the spirit and the word and the work of the word. They're joined together. And so Peter, he goes and he says, this is what Joel said, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, isn't that good news? There's gonna come a day when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That day has come. This Jesus who you know, you saw him. You witnessed the miracles. You witnessed that they were attesting to the fact that he was the Messiah. And it was God's plan to crush him. But you're responsible. Does that sound like a very seeker-friendly message to you? Well, let's not offend anybody. Guess what? The gospel's offensive. You know why it's offensive? Because it says you're not good enough. And you're never going to be good enough. It was your sin that crucified him. You're responsible. Let's act like we're in school. Everybody raise your hand if you've ever sinned. If you're not raising your hand, you're sinning right now, okay? (laughs) If you raised your hand, guess what? You're responsible. You're responsible. You killed him. The God of the universe who created all things that came in the flesh, it was God's plan to crush him. But we're responsible. It's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man all come together in the word of God. It reminds me of the song, how deep the father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father, he turns his face away. His wounds, which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Behold a man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was my sin. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. James would tell us that we should be mournful when we recognize that it is our sins that put Jesus on the cross. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. The church is to preach a right response, uh, to preach a right revelation and it's to practice a right response church is to practice the right response. Let's go verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were cut to the heart, they were convicted. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what we see in John chapter 16, 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, there it is, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The word of the, the word of God and the work of the spirit coincide together to bring conviction to the hearts of men. This is why Hebrews 4.12 would say, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we are a people who get into God's word and we are seeing the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, the work of the spirit comes alongside and convicts us of the sins that are in our life. So this is why the people, they say, Peter, what What must we do? Respond. And he says, repent. William Barclays in his um, writings on chapter two, he tells a story of a missionary he went to an Indian village and he couldn't really communicate. So what he did is he took a lantern and he took different slides and he would project different images up on a wall. And so he gathered the whole village together and he began to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And it says that when he reached the part where he put up a a picture of the cross and projected it on the wall, one of the Indian men jumped up, ran forward and fell down on his face before the picture. And he said, come down from that cross, son of God. I, not you, should be hanging there. When the cross is lifted up, people come to the Lord. It is our job to preach the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified and the Holy Spirit's job is to convict people and bring them into a right relationship with the Father. I can remember watching The Passion of the Christ sitting in the theater and crying so bad that's not everywhere, right? I needed a mask so I could wipe it. I remember weeping because I knew it was my sin that held him there. the God of the universe came and took a punishment for me when it was me that should have been killed. I do not deserve life. I do not deserve forgiveness. He made a wretch his treasure through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel demands a response, and the only proper response is repentance. Repentance. He said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only proper response is repentance. Now, let me tell you, there's a difference between repentance and regret. And a lot of us, we, we regret the things that we do because of the consequences we get ourselves in. Regret is a short-term motivator because regret wants to get rid of the consequences of sin. And I, and I can't tell you how many times people come into the church and they want to get back right in a right relationship with God because they found themselves in a circumstance that they don't like and they know it's because of the sin in their life. It's not that they hate the sin, it's that they hate the consequence of that sin. And so I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to get right with God. And, and once things kind of work their way out, you don't see them anymore. Regret is a really good short-term motivator. But repentance is a long-term regenerator. It's long-term. It begins to work in you and continually works in you all the days of sanctification, leading to glorification. Repentance is long-term because repentance wants to get rid of sin, not the consequences of sin. True repentance always leads to regeneration and ultimately restoration. Again, regret wants to get rid of the consequences of sin. Repentance wants to get rid of sin. Regret seems to be self-focused. Repentance is Christ-focused. How many people have come to God and said, I repent, but really they were just regretting, almost using the term like, I'm sorry. You ever said I'm sorry to somebody and you didn't really mean it, you just kind of, if you're married, you've said this, okay? So I'll just go ahead and say that. If If you're married, you've said, I'm sorry. And then they walked out of the room and you're like, yeah. I I saw you do it to me. <laughs> right? This is marriage. That's I'm sorry. Not really. A lot of times we make repentance about I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry things didn't work out because the truth of the matter is you would have continued in that sin had you not got caught. Repentance is knowing that you're living in the sin and you can't stand it and you're repenting of it because Jesus Christ is Lord and he died on a cross and your sins held him there. David Platt says people who claim to be a Christian while their lives look no different from the rest of the world are clearly not Christians. They might've had regret, but can you see any proof of repentance in their life? Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's ongoing. He goes on to say suddenly contemporary Christian sales pitches don't seem adequate anymore. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Invite Jesus to come into your life. Pray this prayer. Sign this card. Walk this aisle and accept Jesus as your personal Savior. We've taken the infinitely glorious Son of God who endured the infinitely terrible wrath of God and who is." now reigning as the infinitely worthy Lord of all, and we've reduced him to a poor, puny Savior who is just begging us to accept him. Accept him? Do we really think Jesus needs our acceptance? Don't we need him? And when we realize we need him, we repent. I need you. People who base their claim of salvation on a past experience that no longer identifies their present status are in grave danger of the judgment of God. This is why Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 thesis to the door of Wittenberg, said these words Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. When's the last time you repented? because you hate the sin that's in your heart. Tim Keller says it's important to consider how the gospel affects and transforms the act of repentance. In religion, the purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. This means that religious repentance is selfish, self-righteous, and bitter all the way to the bottom. But the gospel The purpose of repentance in the gospel is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to the heart of God. Repentance is ongoing. And the thing about it is, if you're going to preach repentance, then you have to practice repentance. You ever hear that? Practice what you preach. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the church who don't practice what they preach. They're quick to point out the faults in other people's lives, but they will never repent of the faults in their own lives. Likewise, if you, if you, have, to, you have to practice repentance before you can ever preach repentance. It reminds me of the story of David when he's confronted by Nathan about Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 13. You can turn there if you'd like. I don't have it on the screen. Paul, uh, and David writes these words. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. Purge me with his sop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Did you catch that? We have to be a people who repent who respond rightly to a right revelation before we can ever preach it to other people. If we're going to practice repentance, we have to, if we're going to preach repentance, we have to practice repentance because it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. I don't have time to get to the third point. To invite the band up and I want to invite you to respond today to the message of the cross thanks for listening it is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with christ go to our website meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.